2018. It's pretty much the same as 2017 so far, honestly. Hey there, Heartbreakers. I'm Pierce Lydon, and I'm here with... I'm George Marston. And, uh, hey, it's the first episode of Comics Will Break Your Heart of the new year. Yes, it is, and we are still living in a pre-RoboCop dystopia, so no cyborg policemen <laughs> yet, but we're yeah. on the way. Oh, it's so <laughs> soon, though. I feel it. I feel it coming. I feel it coming yeah. in the air tonight. Yeah, exactly. The theme song from RoboCop. Right, course. exactly. Exactly. Um, so today we got another mailbag for you. We tend to do them about every five episodes. We took a couple weeks off because uh, holidays and all that nonsense. And, yeah, you know, had it's some personal to... stuff going on that kept us uh, from recording. But we're back, and we're better than ever, or at least as good as we were the last time you heard our voices. Yeah, Hopefully. which was the uh, which was the Star Wars episode, which was super fun. Which I have not seen Star Wars again yet, and I I've been meaning to. I have that movie pass. Um, but uh, how's uh, 2018 been treating you so far, George? You know, 2018 hasn't been too bad. 2017 was pretty hard, but so far, you know, we're like what a week in, and it's it's uh it's not it's not bad. I won't say it's nominal, but we're doing okay. Things are getting better. It's a little bit rainy down here, but uh, the weather is improving. Have you been uh, working on any fun stuff for Newsarama lately? Um, well, I had a, uh, an article that I just wrote, uh, we were just talking about this before, uh, we started recording, um, where we were talking about, uh, an X-Men article that I wrote, by the time you hear this, it'll be published, where, uh, me and the other staffers from Newsarama, uh, came up with our dream cast for a, uh, Disney MCU X-Men, X-Men film. Um, so that was fun. I always like doing those things. That's kind of one of those classic, like, comic book store conversations, you know? Yeah, I think that those are always the most fun articles to write. I just did a, um, I just did a top ten X Men stories list, which I'm sure people will be mad about in the comments. Um, mostly because mad I, in comments is like the default state of comic books. I mean, so that's fine. true. That's true. But like, I included Mutant Genesis, which I don't know if anybody would really argue that that's one of the ten greatest X Men stories. But I was trying to think about the list in terms of impact, and like when you think right. about what that arc means in terms of the end of Claremont's run and, you know, those costumes. I don't know if you can really leave it off the list. Um, yeah. Plus, it's not a bad little story. You know, those, those three issues aren't bad. Um, and the art's really gorgeous. But um, for, you know, that's like peak Jim Lee to me. Yeah, definitely. And we had this conversation not that long ago because I was looking back at some old X-Men comics from... Uh, from that era, late 80s, early 90s, that Jim Lee drew. And I was really noticing why he's the one that stuck around. Because as much as I think some of his art has stagnated in the 30 years since then, at the time, it was... The storytelling is solid, especially even then, and especially compared to some of the other people that were his contemporaries. I get it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I, I think his acting is the best um, of, of any of them. I, I don't think that... Uh... I don't think that, as much as I like Mark Silvestri, uh, and I like some Wills Portacio, (coughs) and I have a soft spot for uh, Rob Liefeld, obviously, I I don't think (laughs) any of them give such a full picture of these characters um, as Jim Lee, which is is, really to Jim's credit, honestly. Um, Yeah, I think he and uh, Todd McFarlane are the two that really stood out from that time. 
and you know whatever you think of either of them now or whatever it, it's at least easy to see why they're the ones that have the reputation and that they had yeah or that they have oh and why yeah. they're the two that are like billionaires or whatever so yeah uh i think uh didn't one of them like buy a house with like one of his royalty checks for marvel during that era it's crazy I mean, yeah probably them. i'm sure they all do they all have stories all the image founders and stuff have those crazy 90s comic book Comic book money stories. You know what I would do if I had a time machine? I would go back to the 90s to create the things that I already know made a bunch of... Like, I would go back to the 90s and create Spawn. <clears throat> you do a Back to the Future too. Yeah, exactly that. But no, I, Do you think, though, that, that like, <laughs> the, 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 like queer punk Spawn would uh, sell as well <laughs> as it did? In 1993 or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I would just create all of the Spawn stuff before it got created, and then nobody would know. So, so Which, you're saying you're Biff from Back to the Future. Uh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and speaking of Spawn, I don't know if you've watched, I don't know, I know you're not a huge anime fan, but uh, Devilman Crybaby is on Netflix, which is the reboot of Devilman. Did you ever watch Devil Man? I'm familiar with it. So, but for a second, I thought you said Devil May Cry, baby. <laughs> like, baby was the... Well, that's the catchphrase of Dante and Devil May Cry, isn't it? He just... Uh, yeah. It's, at the end of the game, he turns to the camera and just says, Devil May Cry, baby. But he doesn't mean it like baby, like a term of endearment. He means it like, like Devil May Cry, here's an infant. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's a new sentence. Yeah. Um, but uh, Devil Man Crybaby is uh, is on Netflix, and uh, watched it over the course of two days. It was super fun. Um, yeah? Yeah, it's definitely uh, very adult. I mean, it's like got a lot of sex stuff going on, which I never... Uh, a lot I, of adult situations. Uh, yes. Mm. Um, lot of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of nudity and things. But um, I thought it had a real... A, a certain style to it that you don't always see in anime that uh, sometimes, especially when it's things that are being rebooted or adapted, everything kind of has this like awkward one style that you're like, all right, either you love it or you hate it. And then there's stuff that's outside the norm, stuff like Fooly Cooly, uh, and Cowboy Bebop and things that kind of stretch that a little and have like a little bit more to them. And this felt in the same vein. I mean, there's some parts that are trippy as hell. I mean, it is a, it was a no, wild, it, it was a wild, wild show, um, and I, I thought it was really cool. And it's a great little superhero story too. Um, uh, for the for listeners that don't know, Devil Man is a is a kid who he cries a lot. Uh, he feels other. He's, he's very uh, empathetic, and he feels other people's sadness. So if somebody's crying near him, he starts crying, and his friend uh, tricks him into getting possessed by a demon, and it's the, it's Amen, one of the like most powerful demons in hell. And uh, he, but he keeps his human heart, and so he can transform into this demon uh, and fight other demons, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty violent, but you don't have to feel bad about anybody dying too much. I guess I don't know. But, um, <laughs> All right, so that's yeah. better than you know the real world. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I don't know. That was cool. I don't know. Twenty eighteen so far, not so not so bad. Not so bad. Um, I'm a little mad about this Overwatch League stuff. I've been ranting about it all day I, on I've Twitter. I've seen and, that. Uh, I've seen that. I 
agree with you. I read the article that you posted. I, I think it sucks. I, you know, I, I'm bad at video games, but people should, that are good at video games should be getting paid for it no matter what. You know, I don't care about their gender. Yeah, absolutely. I said this on Facebook. I feel like judging another person's gender... It's 2018. Judging another person's gender or especially judging their worth related to your perception of their gender feels like phrenology to me. Like, just useless and, and completely outdated and without merit. So that's why I'm so mad about it. And also just the attitude... Uh, it's the same attitude in comic books a lot of the time. I'm not here trying to call anybody out, but, like, you know, where it's like, uh, we want it to change, but, uh, boy, I sure hope somebody does that. Until then, we're going to continue not changing it. Yeah. Yeah, and we see it really in all arenas where it's just like, well, well, hands are tied, nothing we can do. And really what it is is just complacency. It's saying you're recognizing the problem, but you don't want to change it because it still benefits you. Um, And so there's a lot of lip service paid to things. And I think on the other side, too, is that when the you know, doors are open for more diversity in any realm that there's like, it's like, all right, if this isn't the best thing ever, then fuck it all, you know? And that's insane. You know, uh, I I know that how many millions and thousands of, you know, hours of content have white men created that is completely unwatchable in the pursuit of the few that we all value and we look at them and go, well, all geniuses are white men. And it's really just that white men are the only people who have been allowed to make mistakes to earn and find genius and have been able to thrive in worlds that cover up their misdeeds because they're quote-unquote geniuses. So, I, I, I really hope that's something that changes. And I think we are seeing, in comics especially, we're seeing small steps. Um, it's... Unfortunately, I think the steps are too small and they're happening too slowly, but all we can do is kind of kind of keep pushing and 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 kind and hope and hope. I mean, you know, vote. Right, support the people that are getting chances. Yeah, vote. And really honestly, push the people that uh, we see making content. Put them out there. Like uh, T. Franklin's got Bingo Love coming up. Yeah. I'm excited about that. I think that, uh, that, jo- that just came out, right? Uh, yeah. It comes out in February. Actually, right. you know, and I'd love to have T on the show. We should reach out to them and have them on the show at some point. Um, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just one name. There's so many millions of names oh, that yeah. pulling up. Um, I'm looking at Twitter right now, and I just saw their feed. Yeah, so that's uh, what made me think, Vida, you know. Vida Ayala t- with the Wilds, and ah, there's just so many great creators doing so many great things that, you know. Yeah, one of these, uh, one of these days we should do an episode highlighting more of those comic books, comic books that are currently breaking our heart that are not being read by people or that need more eyes. I mean, we don't have a lot of an audience, I guess. We're not, like, out here podcasting to millions of people. But, listen, this is how it starts. Everybody who has something that they like that is created by someone that you feel has a really important voice and a perspective that isn't being heard, tweet about it tonight. Just get out there and tweet about this comic. Tell it to your friend. Tell it to... Tell it to anybody because that's the only way it's going to work. All of us who have small voices, we have to start putting them together. Yeah. And you know what, too? Uh, and this is my least favorite thing. I, I, I know that you probably try not to get into as much comics, Twitter, drama. I like to so, <laughs> sort of look at it from the outskirts a little bit. But, but you know, you see all these, these uh, quite frankly, uh, bigots who think that they are 
you know, upholding the, the, I don't know, whatever crazy standard they have for comics. They just want comics to be good, you know? So that's why they're out there making fun of trans women and people of color. Yeah. For making things that have nothing to do with the quality of comic books whatsoever. Hundred percent. And and you know they're but you know they're uh, and you know they so they call any of any of even what we're doing they'll call it virtue signaling and all this stuff and and they'll harass they'll harass fans who say like oh my god I'm gonna I saw it today. Somebody saw. Somebody said that they were excited about Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie being in Exile. So that's something we'll talk about a little bit later in this episode. But they said they were excited about. It. They were like, "Oh my God, I'm gonna buy so many copies." And they were like, "No, you're not." And you know what? To that I say, folks, if this is stuff that you care about, on so, you don't have to do it, but make them eat their words. Sh- show the receipts. Who cares? If you bought it, show the receipt. Uh, yeah, yeah get out there and, and buy comics that you support. That's the other thing. Don't just tweet about the comics we're talking about. Pay those creators. Support them on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, buy their work in hard copy or digitally. Anything you can do. And also, I do buy multiple copies of books. Yeah. And I buy books a lot of the time because I want to share them with people. Like, there are several books this year. God, Con- God Country, I've bought probably three copies of that trade since I read it to give them to people. You know, I bought a couple copies of trades for Christmas gifts. And even not just trades, but floppies. Get out there and do it. I mean, you know. So anyway, this has been Comic Book Soapbox with Pierce and George. And now <laughs> I think it's time to crack open the mailbag because we're going to get into a lot more of this stuff. Yeah. So we got we actually have a ton of questions. And thank you, everybody, that posted on Facebook and Twitter and sent stuff in. Um, you know, uh, every time that George and I kind of put the call out there for questions, we usually get a lot of some really fun ones, some really silly ones, uh, and then some... So the ones that really make us think. Uh, so we're going to start with one that's kind of both uh, from our good friend Tim Stevens. You might have heard the episode we did with him about Unknown yeah. Soldier. He writes from Marvel.com. And uh, Tim, good friend of the show. What's going on, bud? Thank you for the question. Here we go. Yeah, here's a great question. Uh, what Marvel villain is due for a big comeback? And what DC villain? Alternately or also, what small-time villain should get upgraded to the big leagues from both companies? You want to take this one, George? Oh, boy. Okay, so I'm going to try to keep this less than a podcast-length answer on its own because uh, people may not know this, but Marvel Comics villains is, like, my number one favorite thing, specifically <laughs> supervillains from Marvel Comics. It's my favorite. I love Doctor Doom. Anyway, um, I actually got my current job by uh, initially years ago writing a blog about Marvel villains, so I have a lot of thoughts. I think, honestly, okay, so the... The, the big umbrella answer for me is I just want to see villains make a comeback at Marvel in a compelling way. I think that rarely these days villains are presented in a way that is kind of nuanced and interesting. And I think that you can do that without also making them completely abhorrent. And, and without, and without anyway. making them anti-heroes. I, I feel like that's the right. thing that we see, we've seen most in the last decade. between Especially, I'd say, Magneto and Doctor Doom. Yeah, Venom a lot. You know, there's, there's so many examples, especially at Marvel, because, and I get the instinct, people love this character. Oh, well, you know, especially if they have some sympathy in them, like Venom or Magneto especially, you know? Yeah. I think from the 2018 perspective, though, we could say that 90% of the time in his history, Magneto really has been an anti-hero. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. But I, I think, like, there's even been 
I feel like more of a push of him being like on, on X Men teams, right? An actual X Men and being more altruistic about it and stuff. Anyway, so okay, so that's my umbrella answer, which is I just want to see more of that, and I want to see more substantive stories where the hero and the villain, their dynamic is important and it's interesting and developed. But for a villain, I really want to see, bring me Kang. Give me Kang. I know he's going to be in, like, Infinity Countdown or something, but Kang, Kang, Kang. Kang is my favorite. Did you like uh, uh, the Mark Wade Avengers Kang story? It was okay. I um, So how do you think you do Kang better? I mean, that was a very, like... To me, that story was, like, not a quintessential Kang story, but it was very, like, that's how you use Kang, right? You go back... Okay, well, here's, here's my... Here's the problem with that, is that I read that whole thing. I read all the Kang issues, and I don't remember a single one of them. So I'd probably start with something like that. But uh, I totally forgot that that even happened, so I guess Kang is still around. Sorry, Mark Wade, and sorry, Mike Del Mundo, because I like Mark oh. Wade, and Mike Del Mundo's art is amazing. Yeah, that art but, was crazy. I don't know. To me, the thing about that story that I didn't like, I think, is that it is exactly what you think Kang would do. It's the same thing Kang always does. True. Which is, he puts on a stupid face, comes up with a name that's a pun, which is amazing, by the way, <laughs> and he, that he's always like, Victor Timely, or, you know, Clock McCann's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I ever get to write Kang, I'm stealing Clock McCann's. Yeah, exactly. Or wait, no, it would be Hans McClock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, he always becomes like Hans McClock and goes back in time and conquers the world or something. And I've seen it. I want to see something in, in different with him. I think there's a lot of potential. But also, I just love Kang. You know? I That's don't know. That's fair. What about... Maybe what? my, uh, yeah, my upgrade answer I think would be a little more interesting. What about really uh, see. Oh, at DC? Yeah, well, who would be your big comeback villain at DC before we get to the small-time villain one? Oh, boy. Um, Lex Luthor. I want to see him as a villain. I want him to be a bad guy. I like him as a leading man, but I like him as a villainous leading man. That's fair. Um, so I don't what, think about DC villains that much, honestly. <laughs> well, because you're on the Marvel beat anyway, so... Yeah, exactly. Um, and okay. I, I mean, I like him, but I love Lex Luthor. What so. are your small-time villains that you want to see get upgraded to the big leagues? Well, I'm tempted to say Tiger Shark from Marvel just because he's my huh. favorite and he's awful. But it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. A guy based on a shark, as much as I love that, he's not really going to threaten the Avengers. You know who I'd really like to see get like kind of an upgrade and maybe like some, uh, some more development beyond just being punching bags is the Wrecking Crew. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love the Do Wrecking like, Crew. Uh, yeah, they're great, and they show up pretty often. But I want to see them become a real threat, and also I want to put the caveat on that, that by real threat, I don't mean, like... I want to see them become, like, a supervillain. So not going out, like, murdering people or doing dark, horrible shit that, like, makes them... You know, that kind of stuff, like the, the 90s edgelord, like, we gotta yeah. upgrade this villain. I don't know, put them all in mech suits. How dope would that be? The Wrecking Crew, like, as, you know... Or something, I don't know. Have them steal Iron Man's armor. That would be fun. That would be cool. Um, for me, Marvel villain due for a comeback is Cameron Hodge. I could see that. Um, I don't know why. I just feel like it's been a while, and I wanted him to come kind back. Kind of timely with... for 2018. Yeah, and I feel like the time is right for him and his weird spider leg body. Uh, man, what a gross, terrible villain who I love. I would love to see Cameron yeah. Hodge come back. 
Uh, and I know Colin Bunn is is playing with some apocalypse stuff, and I, I kind of love. I kind of love. I don't know. I you know I'm a big OG X Factor fan, and I love all that Cameron Hodge nonsense. I love it. That's great. And he's so creepy. I, I don't know. It's great. At DC, villain due for a comeback. You know, I, I saw this uh, question. I, I I still don't know if I have a great answer. It might be Brainiac, though. Um, yeah. Because I feel like yeah, I can see that Brainiac hasn't done anything in a while, and I think it would specifically be the Brainiac that's on the Legion of Superheroes because I want to see more Legion stories, and I would love for that. Brainiac to be the rebirth Brainiac, if that makes sense. Right. Like, where sure. he's just not a hero anymore. Um, yeah. As for small-time villains, I don't know. Everybody probably wants me to say something like Portal or Overhawk or Evil Yeah, Overhawk's going to get a big push in 2018. <laughs> well, Overhawk. Yeah, <laughs> Overhaul. Oh, you know, okay, so the people complain about like Marvel movies all being like, well, he's only fighting evil Captain America or evil Iron Man or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But Darkhawk specifically and exclusively only fought evil versions of himself. Yep. And, like and, any villain that was created to fight him <laughs> is either an evil guy in armor, an evil guy who's like part of the fraternity of raptors but also evil, or someone who kills the fraternity of raptors. That's like every, I get it. It's a mythology, but anyway, I'm derailing this. The, to the funny about thing about character. it is that Portal was an Avengers villain before before Darkhawk even existed, and he just happened yeah. to look pretty much the same as Darkhawk. Well, so, you know, there are only so many designs. Yeah, in the but, world um, for costumes. But small time villains that I'd like to see get upgraded to the big leagues. Hmm. Uh, I don't know that. I don't really know that there are many that I that I really care to see get much bigger than they are. Uh, I, I I would love to see this doesn't really count. I would love to see a really great Scarecrow story. Um, I think it's been a, a while uh, since we've seen a really great Scarecrow story, and I know that he's kind of big leagues already. Um, so that's kind of a cop out answer. Um, at Marvel. I keep thinking about, so I just reviewed uh, Old Man Hawkeye, which if you're a big Old Man Logan fan, I, I recommend checking out. Marco Cicchetto's art on it is really great. Um, and uh, uh, Ethan Sachs, who wrote for the Daily News for a while, it's his first pretty big book. And hell yeah. yeah, I interviewed those guys about it a while ago, and they're very excited about it. it yeah. Looks cool. I haven't got to read it yet this week. but it was, it, was a, it was a solid start, that's what I'll say. I uh, give it an 8 out of 10. Um, nice. I want to see... So I like the idea that we have an old mana-verse. And, uh, <laughs> and I want to see, uh, like, Silvermane and Vulture... Like, I want all the old men who were already old men to still be <laughs> even older men in the old manaverse like, still fighting. It sounds like a, sounds like a what-if, like, backup page in one of those, like, what-if comedy editions. Yeah, like... like Old man vulture, and it's just his tombstone or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I, that's that's all I want. I want like, or I want, I want, uh, I want an old man Sinister Six. That's the Sinister Six from Nick Spencer's Superior Foes. 
Oh yeah, that would be so funny <laughs> to me. It would be so funny to me, and I would... all them in a retirement home for Superman. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like Bubba Hotep, but <laughs> oh my god, oh man, that would be great. Uh, so I don't know. That's kind of what I was thinking of. Um, so sorry, Tim. I know that I I kind of copped out on both of those answers, but but my comeback question, my comeback answers were were real. And honestly, you know, just to put a little point on it. I, really, the number one villain that needs to come back and be a villain is Doctor Doom, because hopefully that would mean he'd also have the Fantastic Four to fight. True. Also, though, right now I would say the Red Skull. You really want another Red Skull story right now? I think that the time is right for a really good Red Skull story. I'm about ninety percent sure that the well, evil Captain 90%. America is going to become Red Skull. Or that that was the plan until everybody was like, please, no more Secret Empire Marvel. Thank you. That's fair. <laughs> and then, like, right after that, uh, I interviewed, like, Tom Brevoort and Mark Wade, and they were both just like, we're just going to keep that guy on ice for a while. That's fair. But, I mean, if you read that last, uh, that, that denouement issue where he's all talking about Red Skull shit and he's all cast in red, it makes sense. Yeah, I had a feeling that he was going to be Red Skull. Wouldn't really be the first time that that thing was that kind of thing happened. I mean, Red Skull had uh, what cloned Steve's body. Yeah, he was in a clone body. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I just really like Red Skull. I know he's a shitty Nazi, but but that he was he's a great a, villain until he's a great, you know Nazis are real again. Yeah. I guess. I, I guess I want to know how the Red Skull feels about that. Yeah. You know what I mean. I don't know. I guess I do, but at the same time, like, who gives a shit how a Nazi feels about there being other Nazis? That's true. Probably great. That's fuck that true. guy. Fuck all Nazis and fuck the Red Skull. That's I love true. that character, but I love Jack Kirby's Red Skull. Put it that way. That's true. That's the Red Skull I would want to see. The, I love the voice that he had in that old 60s. Like, ah! Captain America! <laughs> bah! I used to watch that with my baby sister all the time on VHS, and she would quote it as a little kid. It's just... <laughs> Okay, what's the next question? All right, so thanks, Tim. That was really great. Uh, next question. All right, this is a really serious one. Um, it's from uh, a good friend of mine, Matt Rappo, and he asks, which Thor can do the most push-ups? Well, um, probably not Odinson, because he's only got one arm. Yeah. Maybe I guess he's got one magic arm, so maybe Odinson. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it to Jane Foster. I've seen her arms. She goes around bare-armed all the time. I think that in Thor form, it would be Jane for sure. I know that a listener, a frequent listener of the show, Nick Feldman, would, who has a question actually later, would want us to say Red Norvell because uh, that dude loves Red Norvell. I almost Norvell. said it because I was thinking I about him. I almost said it because I was thinking about him. <laughs> I thinking about but him. I don't really have a sense um, of his physique. But I'm going to say Eric Masterson. Mm. A.K.A. 90s Thor, A.K.A. Thunderstrike. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have any reasoning for that. I just like Eric Masterson. But Maybe also... Sigurd Jarlson. He was a pretty burly guy. Oh, was true. He like, uh, was he an ambulance driver? That's true. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but really, the real answer is probably Puddle Gulp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. His arms are tiny. That's a good point. All right, Jane Foster it is. Jane Foster wins. Yeah, she's got those Michelle Obama arms. 
so the next two are kind of uh, similar questions. Um, so I'm going to group them together. Uh, oh, and thanks, Matt. That, that was a great question. I've never thought about push-ups in regards to Thor. I've never thought about push-ups. Uh, I have. My dad used to. My dad used to make me do push-ups as punishment. You know, I've never been able to do push-ups in my entire life. I just have baby bird shoulders. <laughs> Even when I was a small child, I couldn't. When my strength and body weight were completely isometric, I couldn't do it. So fair enough. So uh, another friend of mine, Craig Shea, who uh, plays guitar in Cold Rex, and he plays bass in Answering Machine, I believe. Oh, hey, Cold Rex, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, he asked, uh, what's the most mediocre comic you've ever read? And then we also got a question about what's the most, most insulting comic you've ever read. Um, so I asked Craig to specify by expectation or craft. He said craft uh, for, for most mediocre comic. I don't I don't really know what my answer is for this. I, mediocre comic is hard to answer. Because yeah. Because usually when a comic is that mediocre, I don't remember it. So yeah. The answer is, is probably most of the comics I've ever read have been incredibly mediocre comics. Just because, you know, mass-produced art, which, you know, comic books are, tends to have a lot of dross to sift through. Right. So like I said, we were talking about earlier, you know, all the mistakes you have to make to be genius. Well... We've gotten a lot of comic books over the years that were a lot of people's stepping stones to genius or not. So, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Most mediocre comic, probably, probably what I, I don't remember, to be honest. Probably something from the 90s, probably at DC. Yeah, for me, it's probably like some random issue of Ghost Rider or something. You know what I mean? Is, Su- my super late is- game X Factor, maybe, like when they all went back in time. I don't know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I agree with you that most mediocre comic is really a mediocre comic's one you don't remember. Like it's one that you don't go tell your friends about. Um, yeah, I would rather hate a comic than have nothing to say about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know what? I'll say. I think maybe the most mediocre comic I can remember reading. I don't remember the issue number. It doesn't matter. It was an issue of uh, Amazing Spider-Man, written by Dan Slott. I'm sorry, bud. Um, where. There was some time door and Peter's. Oh, I remember exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. The oh, second okay. Okay. part of that, like the middle part of that, it was fine. I don't remember anything about it other than the stuff I just said. And I remember reading the second part of it and just thinking, this is definitely 22 pages. Yeah. It's just like a shrug. Um, so like, but but then, you know, the, I think the other thing about that is, you know, like I, I don't hate Dan Slott's Amazing Spider-Man. I don't think it's by and large mediocre. Right. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, same thing for me. It's just kind of like, you know, uh, uh, I, I had this conversation once with a bunch of pros on Twitter because somebody was talking about comic book reviews and stuff. And and I, I guess I'm a harsh critic. I think people, a lot of people would be like, oh, your average score on almost 700 reviews is, is a six and a half. A six and a half is mediocre. And I'm like, well, not really. Like, a, a six or a seven out of ten comic can have something redeeming about it. It just might not work for me. Um, there was a great thread about uh, about criticism on Twitter uh, from from Megan Megan Cubed, and uh, you know they talked about how right criticism is not for the creators, right? Like criticism is for the person writing the criticism. Um, 
uh, in a lot of ways. And also, on some level, for an outside audience who didn't create the thing and wonder if they should read it, and if they agree with the sort of point of view of the critic, then, you know, you know that's how critics have fans. Um, when I review a comic, though, it's not so, like, the, the creator can, like, message me and be like, hey, I'm really sorry, I'll do better next time, you know? And I don't even actually see it as sort of, like, an indictment of their skill, you know? Um, and so, like, I think that most comics, for me, come in that six to seven range because they have to really earn those higher scores for me to be... Because, like, six to seven comics are still ones I recommend to people. Eight, nine, and ten comics are the ones that, like, I can't stop talking about. And then everything else is kind of the stuff I forget about, you know? So, I mean, that's, like, yeah. mediocre. Um, so, that, that, is, that is what it is. As far as most, most insulting comic I've ever read, I have exact answers for this one. The comic book that insulted... <laughs> Go ahead, because I don't. Here, I, 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 I'll say mine on this first just because it's very brief, and I'm sure you, since you have real answers, I don't really know. I don't know what insults me. Honestly, like, I could name a bunch of things like any racist Frank Miller shit or, like, there's a lot of them. But I don't know. I'd rather... I, I don't have a memory for those sort of things the way that I do for good comics, even more than... I don't know. Insulting comic. I don't get it. I don't have an answer for that question. I'm sorry. That's Go fair. for it, Pierce. Uh, I would say that the comic book that most insulted my intelligence was Batman Orphans by, uh, by uh, you know, actual asshole Eddie Berganza. And uh, the one that most insulted my person uh, was lately... I, I, I probably have multiple answers for this, just like you were just saying, like, yes, like a bunch of racist Frank Miller stuff. Um, whatever, but uh, the most recent one I would say is uh, Howard Chaikin's United States of Hysteria. Oh man, what what a fucking what a fucking comic! Like, I blocked out the memory and existence of that book until you just talked about it. Sorry. Is that still a thing? Um, it's not still. A it's thing, not still it? coming out. I don't think. But the fact that it existed and people thought it was okay is. And the defenses that people yeah, were coming up with it was just it's it was not, crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. No, that is a very insulting comic book. So. That's disgusting. But, so, here's a, here, let's move on. Uh, Zach yeah. Jenkins, Zach Jenkins from the excellent Battle Oh, thanks for the questions, by oh, the yeah, way. Oh, yeah, thank you, the, thank uh, you for those two questions, everybody. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't have better answers for them, but I don't know. I don't try to keep negative thoughts about comic books. Yeah, we try to talk is. about comics we actually like, so. That's actually why we're going to move on to the next, the next question, which is a similar question. Zach Jenkins from uh, Battle of the Atom, which is a great X-Men podcast, also does Legion Quest with uh, with Matt Sibley, who writes with us on Newsarama. Uh, which oh, like, which wait, is, Legion Quest, is that about the Legion superheroes? No, it's about Legion, the oh, TV well, show. Mind, then. Oh, okay, well, that's also good. I just started watching uh, that, and it was good. But for a second, I thought there was like a, an ex- like a, an in-depth Legion of Superheroes podcast, which would really be a hard endeavor for anyone to undertake. And we I'll should do that, George. Yeah, I will. I have the time and <laughs> mental capacity for that. Um, uh, that still sounds great, and I want to listen to it. I didn't know Matt Sibley was on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they'll be coming back soon because the season starts, or I guess not soon. I don't know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, and Zach also does Xavier Files, which is a great X-Men uh, website if you love the X-Men like I do. Uh, he asks, what is the most punk comic out there, and what is the least punk comic out there? 
You want me to take this first? Yeah. All right. I think the most punk comic book out there is the one that someone is going to make themselves in their basement for themselves to have their voice heard because no one else is saying what they need to have said. Fuck that's yeah. the most punk comic. It's the one that's in somebody's notebook right now that's drawn on lined paper that some high school kid is doing because they have no other outlet. It's the one that someone is writing because no one is telling their story. It's the one that you don't ask permission to make that you just do. That's the most punk rock comic book. Fuck yeah. What's the least punk rock comic? I have an answer for that. Yeah, to me the least punk thing is deciding what's punk. So what is your... <laughs> Uh, I was gonna say any. I was gonna say that uh, that uh, Marvel uh, weapons defense league, whatever the fuck. Oh yeah, the Northrop North canceled Grummet. Like Northrop Grumman one. Yeah, yeah, that'd probably be one of the least. Punk <laughs> yeah, probably right. <laughs> Maybe um, the Spider Man with Barack Obama on the cover, like, might be the least punk comic. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't I would know. say kind of any of those sort of like corporate tie-in comics are. are that's the easy answer. Yeah, there's a. F- fucking like ongoing saga of dc comics and kfc yeah <laughs> there's, like, there's a good series um, of like three but, or four but, one like, shots at this point oh yeah no there's continuity dude oh there's con- they gotta stick there's a whole book they gotta stick to continuity so wow. <laughs> anyway thank you for that one zach i'm not even going to talk about the most punk comic because i agree wholeheartedly with uh with george on that one um so or right. Love and Rockets, also a good answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or Archie uh, meets the Ramones. Yeah. Obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Zach. Next Anything question. from Verotic? <laughs> uh, all Malibu comics. Um, Hell yeah! <laughs> the ferret. Um, our next question comes from Perry McKenzie. She's, a, she's an artist here in Brooklyn. Uh, we were talking about Runaways the other day. Uh, Pierce, you know everyone. You know everyone that listens to our show. And I don't mean to say that, like, there are only so many people that listen to our show or only your friends do. I mean that you take the time to know everybody that interacts with us, and I think that's amazing. Yeah, I try to because, like, they take the time to listen to our silly show. Yes, thank you all. I wish I could, but I just don't want to talk to anyone. We should. <laughs> no, I'm when, kidding. I want to hear from all of you. You're visiting soon, so hopefully we'll. Yes, at least, I am. We'll have one of them on the show that weekend, so they'll get to. You'll get to meet somebody, uh, or at, at least one of them. Uh, anyway, yeah, so Perry asks, "What do you think of the new Runaways series and how it compares to the books?" Uh, so I know that you're not a Runaways fan, George. But I've never read a Runaways comic book, nor have I seen the show. That's crazy uh, to me because it's a, it's really great, and also I feel like very up your alley in terms of like it might be. I don't have anything against Runaways. My only exposure to the characters is from uh, Avengers Arena, which I liked. Cool. Um, it's just missed me. That's all. That's fair. Uh, I recommend going back and reading it. Uh, so, so Perry and I were talking on Facebook a little bit about uh, you know uh, she was talking about you know. Oh, what's going on with this? Uh, so in the in the show, there's more of like a culty church of Gibberim, and and it, it, it's it, it separates itself a little bit from the book in terms of how it frames a lot of things. I think the show is really good. I, I actually think it's probably one of the better Marvel shows. I really like that we're finally getting young heroes in the MCU. Um, I want these kids to interact with Spider-Man, though. You know, like, that's kind of where I come at all of this stuff, is that 
the runaway yeah, series. If the value in it is it can all get together, then why doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, now they're on the West Coast, so it makes a lot of sense. They're very kind of, uh, you know, they're very separated from everything that we've seen. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, and that, that like, they don't get to see anybody or interact with. They're not like, oh, why is, why is Iron Man flying by? Well, because Iron Man's in New York and you're in California. Um, but that said, like, I think the show works really well. The, the original series, even though it, you know, uh, had a lot of crossover with the Marvel Universe, it still felt very self-contained. And it's one of those books that when people are trying, people are curious about comics and about especially superhero comics, that's one of the books that I recommend because it's outside of stuff enough but touches on a few things that they know while also touching on, like, a few things like the Cree and stuff that's, like, maybe a little bit deeper Marvel continuity. So it's like you can kind of dip your toes in the water. Um, so that's kind of where I, I come at it. I, I think the show's great. I think it's cast really well. I think the writing's a little clunky in, at, at points in the way that it's going to be when it's, like, adults writing teenager dialogue. Um, Groovy. Yeah. <laughs> but on the whole, I think it's really cool. Um, I think it's really cool that even with a, you know, I guess canonical MCU show, we're seeing uh, Carolina Dean and Nico Minoru uh, in a queer relationship, like a textual queer relationship on TV. I think that's really awesome. Um, hey, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really cool. And I, I'm really excited that there's like a new generation of Marvel fans, that that's going to be a touch point for them, you know? That they're gonna, they're, there are teenagers that are seeing teenagers with superpowers on TV that are like, oh, they're, the problems that they have are, are so much like mine, even though their parents are trying to kill them. <laughs> or, or their parents are trying to end the world, you know, um, you know just slightly different than, than normal teenagers. And, and so I think that in the mighty Marvel tradition of characters with problems... Uh, the Runaways are one of the best modern examples of characters that have so much to deal with. In, in a way, they're all like their own little Peter Parkers, um, and I think that's awesome. So, uh, Runaways series, I like it. I think it compares very well to the books. I think they are obviously their own experiences, and obviously, you know, the original Runaways came out 15 years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, so it's maybe a little bit dated, but that's why we've got the TV show. So, yeah, thank you for that question, Perry. And I look forward to the, I'm pretty sure the season's not over yet, so I look forward to the end of it, and we can talk more about it, not on the podcast. All right, uh, speaking of our friend Nick Feldman, who loves Red Norvell, uh, he's got the next question, and it, it kind of ties into the last question as well. Which subtextually or teased queer relationships should Marvel just pull the trigger on canonizing already? Storm Yukio, Kitty Ilyana, Carolina Nico, as they finally did on TV, Charles Eric, someone else. Assume for the sake of discussion slash the question that you each only get to pick two, even if all of them is arguably the best answer. Which ones would you want and why? Um, I have a DC answer, which is uh, Superman and Batman, but we won't get into that. <laughs> Um, man, I feel like I'm giving a lot of weird non-answers tonight, and I'm not trying to be a politician about it. I'll give a little background. In exchange for not having a great, solid answer for this, 
I'll open up a little bit about my history, you know. So, so I'm queer. Uh, I'm bisexual. I guess is probably the right label for it. Um, and I have been my whole life, like you know, anyone who has a sexual or gender identity. <laughs> um, but as a teenager, I was very closeted because you know I live in the South and it's not a very welcoming environment. And so, I never looked for representation in comic books because I was so kind of closeted about it and terrified of it that it profited me more internally to take all relationships and comic books at value. So I don't, the, the idea of queer coded characters didn't occur to me until much later in life. And I have not gone back and thought about it much because instead I try to look for relationships that are more, uh, explicit or, you know, actually textual, as you said, um, that represent my feelings or my thoughts about my place in the world, I guess, you know, and I've never really felt great about comic books that really focus on romantic elements. And I don't mean like, I don't want comic books about people who have human relationships because obviously that's not true, but I mean, like I'm always less interested in their sex lives or their secret sex lives or the stuff that's happening off camera that I have to fill in the blanks. I tend to just not fill those blanks in for characters of, of any sexual orientation. So subtextual queer characters is, is more of a new understanding for me. That's fair. Um, I think so for me, I guess for me, there was always like a, from a very young age, like a knowing I wasn't straight, but not knowing that there were words for stuff. Right. So, and also growing up very, in a very like religious household, I knew it wasn't encouraged, but I was also like the kid at church that was like going into the index and looking up the word homosexuality to find out what the Bible said about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, uh, I was like trying to figure it out with what was kind of put in front of me. Kind of enter the X-Men and especially I think Claremont's X-Men because on a weird level, I think that Claremont's X-Men uh, it's almost like Chris Claremont's exploring some certain things. I don't know if there are things about himself that he's exploring necessarily, but I think that he's... I mean, a- having having heard him talk about it a little bit, I think it's maybe him just wanting to represent perspectives that he sees in the world, you know? And yeah. Certainly in retrospect, I see these things now, you know, like the things you're talking about with Claremont. Anyway, I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, 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 it's totally fine. I, I think that that context was great, but... Um, and I think that you're right. Like, he talks, like, somebody was saying, like, uh, there's a joke in Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men where they talk about how, like, how uh, Claremont's X-Men is the beginning of a lot of fetishes for people. Um, because he, like, includes, <laughs> he, like, includes a lot of stuff. Um, but one of the things they joke about is, like, leather storm. You know? And, and he straight up said, he was like, oh, yeah, like, I saw these, like, leather punks in New York but I knew I couldn't like hang out with them or whatever. So like, that was my way of like involving myself at all with that scene was like making one of my characters like look like that. So that those, those people that I saw I could have in my book. And so the, I I would say like the sort of, I think Kitty pride and, and, and Claremont Claremont's, been so bold as to say, I mean, like, word of God, 
Kitty Pride is is a queer character, right? Um, he's 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 come out and said that about her that she's bisexual, um, and it's Kitty Pride oh, always my favorite. I love Kitty. Oh, I love Kitty so much, and and I there's always a reason that I was partly that you know I was a I was very young when I started reading X Men, so seeing the young character on the X-Men doing things always was like, that's the character that I like. And she's so badass, but, uh, I, I don't know if it's Kitty Ilyana so much for me. It might be Kitty Rachel. It might be more like Excalibur based, but, Mm. and, and I do really love, Bendis did a great issue during his uncanny run, uncanny X-Men volume, Three number thirty three, I believe, where uh, Ilyana and Kitty go to Monster Island, and they fight a bunch of monsters, and it's great. Uh, Chris Anka does the art on it, um, and it's very like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're talking about like their, their their dialogue is kind of talking around the fact that they maybe had a thing. So I, I, for me, it's not about. A queer relation, a specific pairing. It's more about like I would like to see Kitty acknowledge her queerness on the page, um, because yeah, she's always been a really yeah, see, important. Yeah, that's great. You know, and especially with like you know uh, Peter uh, with Colossus proposing, I would love to see yeah. that sort of talked about like obviously Rachel and Ileana have feelings about this right so uh and what is the X-Men when it's uh, you know at its best it's a soap opera so I want to see I I don't know that listen if you're on a if you're on an X-Men if you're on a team if you're hanging out with your exes as frequently as the X-Men do I mean come on there's got to be some feelings there's got to be some I object moments there's got to be some I don't know something right so I, that's what yeah, I, I, I mean. It's weird that that's the thing about the Kitty. Uh, we've talked about this privately, but like the, the Kitty, the Kitty Ilyana thing to me is that it's a little weird to me that she's dated both Ilyana and Pyotr. Like I think that's maybe I don't know. It's it's a little gauche to me, I guess. Not certainly not because of any gender issues, but because I don't know. Dating siblings is not something I would do, and so it's weird to relate to that to me. Do you uh, so so quick question for you? Do you remember the sort of reason that she and Peter break up? Though Piotr break up the first time, though. I don't. So she's still fourteen. Oh yeah, when they first that I remember because she was like a super teenager, and he was like, "Yeah, but they keep on do this." But like they this. yeah, he says that, but then they keep sneaking around, and Storm finds them. But during yeah. Secret Wars, he hooks up with that alien. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anytime they travel, uh, Colossus <laughs> likes to like to meet some locals. He does it the Savage one yeah, too. Yeah, always. But that's yeah. why they like break up, and it was that was because Jim Shooter was like, "We cannot have this be a relationship," which yeah. I think is the right call. Um, but I have to imagine that a very young Kitty Pride, not understanding entirely what like why that wasn't okay you know what i mean because she acts like she doesn't understand why it's not okay you know right um they first kiss because she thinks she's gonna die yeah so you know i think that it's a little bit of like x-men staple the x-men do that a lot too is there's a lot of like 
well, we're, we're going to die. Do you really want to die without having done this? Yeah, totally. Uh, then, Pretty much that's Gambit and Rogue's entire relationship, which is, oh, boy, that's a podcast. Oh, geez. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, so, so I think it might have honestly been a bit juvenile, but I think her thinking might have been kind of like, oh, yeah, Piotr, I'll show you. Maybe, or maybe it's familiarity. Yeah. I don't know. I need to go back and reread those because yeah, I'm definitely too. interested in it. And I've read most of, you know, I don't want to say I've read all of X-Men, but I've read most of that time period for sure, at least once. I've read certainly almost all of New Mutants. So, you know, I want to re-explore that through that lens and see what the subtext is. Because like I said, as a kid, it's just not something that you you weren't looking for it. I specifically avoided filling in blanks like that for comic book characters just because I was so in my own head about my own identity and my own reality that Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I was more interested in them having friendships and, and having relationships that even if they're romantic are based on things other than their sexuality, I guess. For sure. And I think that's a, that's very valid, but, but yeah. So for me, my answer is just Kitty, uh, and any of her relationships, all of her relationships. (laughs) Um, uh, because I think that that would be really powerful, especially considering her visibility right now. Um, yeah, and I, with- I think I'm with you. I would love to see Kitty Pride come out in a completely consensual and uh, autonomous way. Yeah, totally. And I, and I would just love to see all the stuff that it felt like we were seeing kind of recognized. Um, because, you know, obviously... Claremont's writing at a different time when that wasn't as easy to to sell as like a a, a, a plot point, a, a character development point, you know. And it's a different time now, and I, I almost wonder like if you had shifted his. Imagine he had started writing for Marvel in two thousand instead of you know nineteen seventy four. How much different would the X Men books be? You know. Oh yeah! Wow, I never thought about that, but that's crazy. That's you know, true. like it would be it would be so much different. You know, so I know. Cool. Thanks for the question, Nick. That was really great. Uh, yes, thank you, Nick. You know, these are things that I think George and I sometimes talk about in private, so it's always fun to talk about them on the show uh, when we're given a reason to. Uh, all right, so we have we have like four more left. Uh, the next cool. one's from Let's Tyler Tyler Grizzard. Uh, Tyler is in uh, Generation X Men, which is an X a queer X Men uh, little fan group on Facebook. So if nice. you like talking about X Men and you're queer, come join that group. Uh, cool. This is a quick, quick question from him. Thoughts on the new Exile series cast by Saladin Ahmed? Oh man, I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I love Saladin Ahmed's Black Bolt. I love the cast. I'm really excited for Chibi Wolverine, which normally I would never feel that, but I'm kind of want to see Cartoon Wolverine being like just straight up like Hellfire <laughs> Club basement Savage Wolverine. <laughs> Yes. I would love to see that, chomping cigars and stuff. I think that would be really fun. Uh, I'm so excited about Valkyrie. You brought that up earlier, and I wanted to be like, yes. Yeah. That looks great. And I'm so, honestly, I'm excited because it's a cast that has a lot of potential. Uh, I like the idea of post-apocalyptic Kamala Khan. Although, Um, although I got to say, there's one of those, the art so far on her, I'm not... The art in the teaser images or whatever so far, not really sold Well, none on of it. it's been by the series artist, though. None of it's been by Javier uh, Rodriguez. I know. 
and it's so stupid. Yeah, but that's what I was going to say, though, is that I love the creative team on it. Yeah. I'm so excited. And Rodriguez's designs for Valkyrie look great. Oh, hell yeah. I don't know if you saw his turnarounds or whatever, but they looked awesome. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I have no complaints, and it is truly something I'm looking forward to in comic books. So, Hell yeah. I'm yeah. excited for Old Woman Kamala. I think that's dope. I, I love... I, so I have a weird soft spot for the original Exiles, uh, written by, you know, a uh, real-world alum, Judd Winnick. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Which I think everybody forgets. Um, but... Uh, I love the original Exiles. I thought it was such a, that was such a goofy cast. You had like Morph and you had, you know, uh, just, just what a. Yeah, uh, Nocturne. Yes. And yeah, I picked that up. Oh, on, I remember the day that I bought that first issue, actually. I remember where I was for some reason. I didn't read a whole lot of that series, but for some reason I remember buying that comic book. It was so goofy and, uh, and it was such a fun premise, which was just like, hey, we're going to jump through dimensions and fix things to make sure they happen. It was just Quantum Leap. You know, yeah. it's just quantum leap, but with X Men characters, sort of. Um, and by the end of it, I don't know. It, it by the end of it, like you're you're with those characters for so long that you're like, ah, oh, this feels like a real ending. You know, man, we've been on so many adventures, and that was the thing is they were adventures. You know, um, they were getting shunted into weird dimensions and weird time periods, and you never knew what it was going to be. And so I hope that we get to see these characters in similar situations. Um, and Saladin Ahmed's Black Bolt, like you said, is, whew, I think it is an understated gem of a book. Uh, uh, oh man, it's really good. It's I so loved good. It. And Christian Ward. Oh, dude, I have loved Christian Ward's art for so, so, so long. And you posted this, uh, Namor on Twitter today. Oh, that was just so good. Oh, the Prince of Absalantis. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, so so my thoughts on Exile series cast are fuck yeah. I definitely thought Valkyrie was Zorn when I first saw the the blacked out um, kind of kind of character thing, and that I would have been fine with that. But the Valkyrie is even better, and especially that Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie is really fun. And uh, although, uh, what's up with regular Valkyrie? Where is she at? Um, I think she the dead? last time we saw her was in Fearless Defenders, maybe? Yeah, so I want them was to that meet. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be great. Because, well, I mean, that's the thing that they don't talk about so much, or that people don't really think about in Marvel Comics, is that even in the comic books, Valkyrie's not the only Valkyrie. Right, she's one of the Valkyries. Yeah. So, that's super fun. I think that's really fun. And also, too, if that gets a couple of people that love Thor Ragnarok to go check out the book, Hell yeah, they're going to get the weirdest, strangest book coming out because it's got Chibi Wolverine and Old Woman Kamala and Blink. It's going to be insane. So, I, I don't know. that I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to say the least. Yeah. Uh, next up, from my good buddy Jimmy that I went to college with, uh, he asks, is the new Rorschach the kid reading the pirate comics? Um, so for any readers that haven't been reading Doomsday Clock, uh, I think only issue one is out. Issue two comes out soon. Something like that. But um, there's yeah. no, there is a new, new Rorschach. Uh, he is black. Uh, and we do not know who he is. We do not know. We know that he is somebody who has Rorschach's journal and who writes in his journal 
uh, a lot like Rorschach wrote in his journal. Um, but Jeff, I mean, so so uh, you covered the Doomsday Clock stuff at New York Comic Con, uh, George. Yeah, right? I okay. So hmm. let's be careful here because I don't know what isn't isn't on the record. Okay, like that's what fair. I'm not, what I'm. But what I will say is, I did cover, they had the entire first issue on display in a gallery in New York during Comic-Con. I covered that um, for my job at Newsarama and the Comic Book Minds. And I, uh, afterwards, Jeff, Jeff Johns, Jeff Johns, you know Jeff? <laughs> oh, our, uh, our old friend. You might friend, know him uh, as uh, Joey Ramone. Uh, <laughs> friend of the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um... We, uh, <laughs> you might know him as Joey Ramon. <laughs> um, we, uh, there was a Q&A afterwards, and they asked him some questions, and I will say this. I don't think it is. That's what, I, that's what I will say. I don't think that it is. I don't think it's impossible, but I don't think that it's that. I agree, and I will say, so I covered the New York Comic Con Doomsday Clock talk or whatever, that was a question that came up from the moderator, actually, this, this very question. Jeff unequivocally said it's not. Oh, okay. So he said that on the record. Okay, then. Yeah. I asked him privately about that at the, uh, at the event. Like, uh, after we did, he did the public Q&A, we were kind of mingling, and I was like, so, is it this guy? And he told me no. When you do those things, you never know Of course, parts, of course. Like, you know, so I didn't want to go ahead and spill the beans on that. But yeah. yeah. So he said he said unequivocally no twice that weekend. I would say, excuse me, I would I, I believe him. I mean, why would he lie? That would be a stupid. You know who I think it is. I think that it is the. I think it is maybe the son of the psychologist. Oh yeah, that's possible. If it's going to be a or it, like it's either a character not connected to anything or it's or it's that. It could be that, yeah. It could I don't be know. That. Or it that's, could be some that was, that's my guess. journal or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who it is, so that was not what I was yeah, trying to Yeah, no, me neither. On. It's just so. when you sign a non-disclosure agreement, you never know what the fuck you're allowed to say. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, I guess we'll keep reading Doomsday Clock, and hopefully I guess we'll get an answer to this. Um, yeah. So far it's been... So far, it's been Doomsday Clock. <laughs> That's yeah, all I, I have. I liked the first issue. I thought yeah, it was funny. I thought it was. I thought I sent it was me some uh, pancake mix. I, I thought it was good for what it is. Yeah. So, all right, we got two more. Next one's from Joey Edsall, our good friend from Newsarama. Um, Joey Eds. With Nobody a. Calls him that. With Do a, they call you that, Joey? What? Oh, I said Joey Eds, <laughs> and then I said, I hope nobody calls you that. Well, that's what we're calling him from now on. So Joey Eds yeah. asks. Uh, and this is a weird, deep cut of a question that we're going to have to explain to listeners. If Predator X was on a cut in prep for its Savage Lands bod, which three mutants would be ideal for it to feel full while maintaining a calorie deficit? Hmm. I mean, I feel like people know what gains are and how you go about getting them. I feel like a lot of our listeners... Yeah, but do any of our listeners know who Predator X is? Oh, you wanted to explain that part? Yeah, I'm just thinking we're all basement kids, so like <laughs> you might have to explain. <laughs> Certainly, it took me a minute reading that question to go like, "Oh, he means he means exercising." Yeah, that sport I don't play. That's how I think physical activity. It's all sport. So to activity. translate this question, 
the question is basically, so Predator X was like, it's like a dinosaur monster thing from the Savage Land. Sauron's involved. It's a whole thing. Um, it's a giant monster that, eat, that eats mutants. He has to eat mutants. He, he like, th- like, like, subsists on mutant DNA in some level. Um, so, uh, and also, if you've ever read any comic, especially X-Men comics where they're in the Savage Land, everybody is super hot and super ripped. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of like people in just loincloths <laughs> yeah. walking around with their bodies out. Yeah. You know, even Rogue down there just puts on a loincloth. Oh, yeah. She's not afraid zone, of anybody touching her, I suppose. She still wears gloves, though. Um, well, you know, it's all about the aesthetic. Yeah. Um, so so Joey's asking that, that what three mutants would buy, be ideal for Predator X to eat and keep his ripped abs uh, while in the Savage like what's Land. The, what's the, what, is the, what is the mutant paleo diet? Yeah, that exactly. What That's what it is. What is the mutant paleo diet? Okay. Okay. I have an answer. I have an answer. Okay. I have an answer. Everyone's going to hate it. <laughs> Shoot. Okay. First of all, Toad. That's an obvious choice. Okay. Because he's so small and compact. But he, his power is, is, is leaping, and so he's got to have really strong, well-developed muscular legs that's that are true. also very lean because he's very small. So that's a good source of, like, lean protein. Uh, second one is bird, bird, uh, bird brain. Okay. Just fry him up. You know, or I guess he wouldn't fry him. He'd probably bake him in the oven, uh, skip the dark meat, and just eat the breasts with some wild rice. You know, something like that. Right. Cause um, you want, and you want something more meaty than beak. You don't want the beak. Yeah, beak, exactly. I thought about beak, and I was like, you know what? It's too crispy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I guess probably Iceman would be the third one, because you've got to hydrate while you're cutting. That's you gotta true. you got to get that protein through your, <laughs> your kidneys. <laughs> that's, that's, honestly, that's, that's incredible. Uh, I was going to say Morph. Uh, not, uh, listeners, not X-Men the Animated Series Morph. Uh, I this mean, one's for you, Morph! Yeah, uh, a.k.a. X-Man, whenever they <laughs> wanted him to be X-Man. Um, uh, uh, tell Scott I made him a convertible. Uh, <laughs> 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 now we're just doing Wolverine impressions. Uh, oh my god. Morph. Uh, my f- I just watched Pride of the X Men the other day. Oh, uh, beautiful! Probably my favorite X Men adaptation. The I think best. better than all the movies and the '90s cartoon and uh, some of the comics. It's a there's right. an alternate reality where that's the actual X Men cartoon, and maybe more people like the X Men. But maybe. also, Hugh Jackman gets to keep his Australian accent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I would say Morph because he can weirdly change shape. So you'd feel full, I suppose. Uh, turn yourself into a steak, Morph. Yeah, exactly. Um, beast, because he's got a lot of muscle. It's a lot of work, man. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fur in there. There's a lot of work. Yeah, but I feel like once you shave him, then you'll be fine. Um, and you can make that really easy by to, to maintain that calorie deficit and also you know to burn off any extra calories. Pyro. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, you can use pyro to cook the other ones. Exactly. 
<laughs> this is such a weird question. Maybe Predator X. Maybe Predator X likes spicy food. Who knows? Maybe he wants, uh, Joey, why did I get you, heartburn? Joey, why did you do this to us? <laughs> Joey Eds. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, Joey, thank you for that question, which is by. I think that will take the cake as the strangest question we get this year. Hundred percent. Yeah, probably. Certainly, uh, the strangest one we're going to answer on air. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly true. All right, so uh, last question. Uh, it comes from another friend of the show, uh, Justin Partridge. Uh, you might remember him from the Transmetropolitan episode, episode three. Uh, thank you for sending in a question, Justin. Uh, thank you for all of your reviews and all that you do over at Newsarama. Uh, this is a great question. I know, Justin, some comic books. I didn't forget. I just haven't been able to go to the post office yet. Oh, yeah. So, Justin asks, if you could be a fly on the wall during the production of any comic, what would it be? And we kind of pre, we kind of pre-talked yeah. about this a little bit, and we actually came up with the same one. But yeah, the the answer that Pierce and I both came up with, they said it, and then I said it. It was kind of simultaneous. Was Fantastic Four number one is the obvious one, partially because there are a lot of mysteries about that comic book. Like I don't know who inked it, or. Yeah. Who actually created it. Yeah, who came so, up with the uh, idea. Yeah. So that that would be interesting, and I think that would kind of be the one for the record books. But the creator I'd most want to be a fly on the wall for would be, uh, I don't know. I'll have to think about this for a second. I had a great answer earlier, and it slipped my mind. Um, I mean, I... just Jack Kirby straight up, because you kind of watch comic books evolve through what he's doing in the sixties. Um, I would love to watch, I would love to watch Mike Waring go draw. That would be an amazing thing. All right. I love yeah, Ringo. I've, yeah. Probably my fame, my favorite after Kirby, my favorite fantastic four artist. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Hands down. Um, so yeah, I think fantastic four number one is really the right answer. Yeah. That feels like to me, I, I just would love to see it all happen, especially knowing what comes after, you know, just because it's like, I, like everybody's heard all the stories about that book at this point and uh, the birth of it. And I would just love to see every step of the way, like how did this thing, how did it come to us? I, I had said also to Action Comics number one um, as really the birth of the modern superhero. Uh, I think yeah. that, that would be really exciting to see. Um, but I think that we have like a pretty solid story about how that happened. So I feel like we kind of under, we kind of know how it happened on some level. Um, and, uh, and then as far as like creator that I'd love to, to kind of like kind of get in their head. I mean, I would love to know how Jack Kirby's brain was firing to come up with the new gods and all the fourth world stuff. Um, but Honestly, I would just want to be in 80s X office meetings. Yeah. Just That's true. Just, just watch uh, like like the Dark Phoenix saga, how that came out. Oh together. my god. Can you imagine? Or just like or or like how the mu- the mutant massacre, fall the mutants came together, like like the idea that like that's sort of really the birth of crossovers as we know them. Um and event Yeah, books. or um yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and especially too because Louis Simonson, I mean, Chris Claremont have talked a lot about their process, but to be 
in the room as Chris is coming in and being like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to write. And Simon, and, you know, Wheezy being like, all right, listen, you dropped like 17 plot points that you never picked up. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we can do. What do you think about this? I don't know. It'd be so cool. I, I think that, uh, especially, I, I think that there are a lot of women in the early days of Marvel um, that are sadly and sorely forgotten. Um, yeah, very and, unsung to say the least. Uh, and, there are a lot of women in the offices at Marvel in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that just, for all the ones we talk about, there are more that don't ever get the recognition yeah. they're probably going to do. And I, mean, and I mean, you know, uh, Louis Simonson, obviously one of the big ones, Marie Severin also, uh, Flo, Flo Steinberg, of course, um, in, a, in a slightly different capacity, but, but still just as important. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, even just being a fly on the wall in those Marvel bullpens, you know, for Maybe so Crisis long. on Infinite Earths on the DC side. Oh, wow. Mostly because, like, they had to figure out how to reboot the whole universe. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Ugh. Death of Superman. I don't know. So many things. Fantastic Four number one. That's going to be my final answer. Yeah, I think that that's the answer. But I, honestly, like, I just want to be a fly on the wall for all of it. You know, I mean, that's why that's why I love comics because like it's this weird, crazy, legendary, like insane thing. And 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 you know, it was cool getting to be on the inside for a little bit as an intern. It wasn't anything like what I thought it was going to be, though. You know. Um, it was nowhere near sort of the stories that I had heard about the Marvel offices in the you know eighties and seventies and eighties and nineties, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I love I love comics, and I would just love to see all of it. So Fantastic yeah. Four number one, also my final answer, but 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 all of it also. Like I want to be in that uh, I want to be in that Image House that Liefeld had, that Extreme Studios house. Oh my God. <laughs> What do you think that house smelled like? Twenty-year-old uh, 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 men. It probably smelled like Disgusting. a dorm room. Probably smelled like a shitty, shitty dorm room, uh, because everybody probably had well, couldn't cook, didn't do a lot of laundry, and did a lot of drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but hey, that hey, we got young blood out of it, so I guess it was worth it. Yes, we did. All right. So, yeah, like at least a dozen issues of Youngblood. <laughs> and also Wildcats. Oh, yeah, that whole thing. <laughs> anyway. Well, that, that does it, man. That's all the, that's all the questions. Um, thank you to everybody that sent, that sent questions in. These are always really fun. I, I actually look forward to doing the mailbag uh, episodes. But also, too, we need to not call these things mailbags because that's a boring title and nobody sent us better titles so maybe we should just think of one on our own uh, yeah we'll figure it out at this point but uh but thank you everybody that sent in questions and uh thanks for sticking with us um we'll have hopefully uh our next episode will be with my roommate anthony chanza uh he writes for frederator and some other places uh we're talking ultimate spider-man number 13 uh that's ultimate spider-man volume one uh, which is the issue where Peter Parker tells Mary Jane that he's Spider-Man, which will be super fun, I think. Um, nice. Very seminal book for a lot of people. 
uh, and one actually that's come up with a few different per, uh, perspective guests uh, who have said like, oh, if you haven't done Spider-Man 13, Ultimate Spider-Man 13, I want to do it. So uh, Anthony got lucky and called it first. So um, we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, we got some other cool guests that we're working on lining up. Uh, I think 2018 is going to be a great year. And honestly, I like these episodes too because I like getting to just talk about comic books for a while. But uh, I'm very excited to be getting back to kind of talking about things that that are that we love about comic books, reading stories I haven't read, or maybe finding new perspectives on ones I've had. I'm feeling good about 2018 on that front, even if everything else in the universe is a true dumpster fire. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, it's. Uh, I think that sometimes um, the best thing that you can do when when it feels like everything is burning around you is to dive into the things that made you care about wanting to stay alive in the first place. And so uh, comic books are that for me, and I know that they are on some level for you as well, George. And, and, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's I think why that's you know, so how we do this, do this show. show. Yeah, exactly. So uh, anyway, uh, also we're going to get our Patreon going soon. I know we've said that for like four weeks or whatever. but Yeah, uh, I, I had a, some personal stuff going on over the last uh, last month, especially over the holidays that kind of made it impossible to work on a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. So extracurricular things, but we're getting back on track now. And of course there was a whole thing where Patreon were trying to dick people over for a while, but they didn't. So hooray, we get to use them, which is exciting. And, uh, we hope that we'll, that will be a, a long and fruitful relationship. And, you know, so we'll post about all that stuff when it, when it comes time. Um, but, uh, other than that, thank you guys for listening. Thank you everybody for sending in, for sending in questions, and uh, we will see you next week. All right, everybody. Comics will break your heart. Bye now. Comics Will Break Your Heart is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, and Athens, Georgia, and produced by Chris Grassi. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play, and follow us on Facebook by searching Comics Will Break Your Heart, Twitter at CWBYH Podcast, and Tumblr. Thanks for listening.